Hey, if you got your uh, program, open that up. We're continuing our series at the cross. Two weeks ago, we started this series on Easter Sunday, and we looked at the thief on the cross who came to know Christ in the last moments of his life. And if you thought, man, how, how, how could that happen? i got an even bigger doozy for you today. Because we've been learning the lessons from the cross from the perspective of some of the people who were there during those six hours that Jesus hung on the cross 2,000 years ago. And today we're going to look at the cross through the eyes of someone who wasn't even there as a friend. He was there as an enemy, an enemy of Jesus. One of those who actually helped to beat and whip and torture and crucify Jesus. And look at the cross through the eyes of the Roman soldier. Matthew 7, Matthew 27, I can't read you the whole chapter, but I would encourage you to read the whole chapter of Matthew 27 um, in your quiet time this week. Matthew 27, verses 26 through 36, let me read it to you. I think, I think all those verses are there on your, on your outline as well, and they'll be on the side screens and, and also on your, uh, on your device if you're watching online. It says, so Pilate ordered Jesus flogged, that's whipped, with a lead-tipped whip, and then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Now, Jesus was, was whipped, it says, with a lead-tipped whip. This was done not just to humiliate and punish him. Yes, that happened. But there's a deeper reason to ordering a flogging with a lead-tipped whip, because the lead-tipped, I, I don't want to be graphic, but it, it, would, it would rip the flesh off of a human body, and that's what they did. They whipped him so that he wouldn't last as long on the cross. You, you be, beat him within an inch of his life and then hang him on a cross. Obviously, he's not going to last very long. Well, sometimes when it wasn't the spikes that killed, you know, spikes in your in your wrist or your your feet that killed someone on the cross. It was that they they died of exhaustion when they couldn't push themselves up to breathe. They died of, of asphyxiation. They suffocated to death. A horrible way to die, to be executed. Um, and a humiliating way to die. Verse 27 says, Some of the governor's soldiers took Jesus into their headquarters and called out the entire regiment. They stripped him and put on a scarlet robe on him. They wove thorn branches together into a crown, put it on his head. They literally drove nails, spiked thorns, like into, into his head, very painful. Then they placed a reed stick in his right hand as a scepter. Then they kneeled before him in mockery and taunted him, hail the king of the Jews. They spit on him. They grabbed the stick. They struck him on the head with it. So they weren't just getting him ready for death. They're mocking him, um, humiliating him, making fun of him. Verse 31, it says, when they were finally tired of mocking them, mocking him, they took off the robe, put on his own clothes on him again. They led him away to be crucified. The soldiers gave Jesus wine mixed with bitter gall. But when he tasted it, he refused to drink it. After they had nailed him to the cross, keep in mind when they nailed somebody to the cross, they probably didn't put it in the sand, they put, put it in their wrist. That's what would hold you up. Um, a nail here, here, and then a spike in, in his feet. It says, after they nailed him to the cross, the soldiers gambled for his clothes by throwing dice. Then they sat around and kept guard as he hung there. It's hard for us to stomach the reality what literally happened to Jesus that day a few years ago went to the Passion of the Christ movie, the Mel Gibson uh, flick with uh, Jim 
Savisal or whatever his name is, um, man, it just, it, you just hardly could watch it. But for this Roman soldier, as much as it turns our stomach to see anybody go through something like that, even, even just a Hollywood rendition of that, for this Roman soldier, this is just another Friday for him. This is just a normal day at the office. He was used to this. This was his job to beat, degrade, mock, and execute anyone who stood in the way of Rome. Just another day at the office. Can you imagine if that was your job? If this is what you did day after day after day, another criminal, another rebel to torture and kill, how would that impact you? How would it change you? certainly had an impact on this Roman soldier. I don't believe, whatever this guy's name is, I don't believe that this Roman soldier was born a hardened skeptic. He was born into a pagan family, had all these weird gods. But I don't think that he was a hardened skeptic until he became one. Life. A hard life has a way of making even the strongest of us skeptical turning us into a hardened skeptic. Maybe you've experienced some of that. Maybe your parents just weren't there for you. Growing up, maybe they didn't love you the way that they should have, could have. Maybe you're still hurting as a result of that. Or maybe you thought that your marriage was going to last forever. You had all these hopes and dreams. But one day, your spouse walked out. And now you're alone, crushed. Maybe that dream career that you, that you had you know, is so promising. Maybe things went sideways and it got taken over and you were downsized or let go or reassigned. But the bottom line is your dream is gone. Maybe you had a future of a family in mind. And you've been trying and trying and trying, and you've been dreaming and dreaming and dreaming, but since the last miscarriage, it just seems like it's never going to happen. It's been years. Maybe for you, it's a loved one that you're really close to. But they got the message that they got the, the cancer word or the heart disease word or something terminal, and, and right now it just doesn't appear to be any hope. For your child, your loved one, your spouse, your sister, your brother. I mean, sometimes life is hard and life can turn anyone into a skeptic. Like, God, are you even there? Is there really a God hearing my prayers? Do you even care if you are there? It's true for us and it was true for this Roman soldier as well for him. This day started like just any other day. But it was actually the day that God's grace finally is going to break through all of the things in his life. And his life has changed forever. And the truth is, only God's grace can break through whatever's going on in our lives. Break through and change a hardened heart. There's some of you who are here today for whatever reason, probably... Life 
has thrown you a few curveballs and your, your heart has become hard. And maybe you've been beaten down and life hasn't been fair. And you could, you could give a lot of evidence and you could probably even convince all of us, man, that's, that's, I'm so sorry. That's, you feel mistreated. You feel forgotten. You feel skipped over. And it's changed you. You didn't always have a heart this hard. But it's caused you to doubt, to doubt God's love, to doubt God's grace. And like this Roman soldier, you weren't born a hardened skeptic, but life has turned you into one. Maybe at some point in your life you were even on fire for God. You went to youth camp, you threw your stick in the fire. But things happened. And at one point your, your faith was growing and on fire, but life has just come along and kind of snuffed that out. Your heart was so alive, but it is now so closed to God. I want you to know today that no matter who you are, if you're here, if you're in the pavilion, if you're watching online, no matter who you are, I want you to know, no matter where you've come from, I want you to know that it is possible for God to make your heart come alive again. Maybe for the first time in a long time. Just like this Roman soldier's heart came alive for the first time. In a long, long time that very day. So today I want us to look at and explore some of the grace lessons. How are we going to learn lessons of grace from a Roman soldier? God didn't record these words for just no good reason. God recorded all of these words so that we could learn a lesson from someone who is so hardened that I think it's going to reach some of our hearts. Some lessons about God's grace that we can learn from a Roman soldier's experience at the day of the cross. If you'll jot, I just want to talk about four quick things. If you'll jot these down. And you'll notice some of these, they kind of tie into that seven realities of experiencing God series that we talked about. The beginning of the year between 40 days of community and this series at Easter. The first thing I want you to write down is that God is always at work drawing people to him. We talk about God always being at work around us, but God is always at work around everyone. And God is always at work drawing people to him. The life of a Roman soldier wasn't easy. It's a lot like our military today. Sometimes, most, most of the time, they were called to be far away from home. Much of the time they were called to live in difficult circumstances. Often they're in hostile territories. Most of the time their day starts early, before dawn. Sometimes they'd have to pack up all their stuff, like their, their kit, all their supplies. In March, they say 20 miles a day, carrying about 80 pounds. It wasn't an easy life. And they would march, march, march. And they put down rebellions wherever the next skirmish was. They'd build walls. They'd build roads. They'd build forts. And yes, if you worked your way up, you got to crucify some rebels. You can imagine, for this Roman soldier, he woke up that Friday morning and it's just another day at the office. Same old drudgery. You ever feel like that? Maybe some of you feel like day after day after day. You know, the hamster wheel you're on, it's just the alarm clock goes off. You, 
you brush your teeth, you eat the same thing for breakfast, you drive the same road, you can't remember how, how you got to work sometimes. And then you do the same thing at work over and over and over again and it just seems kind of futile. You start wondering yourself, is, is this my purpose? You know, is, is, what's the value, what's the eternal value of the same thing over and over and over? Does it really matter? And the futility can harden your heart to the point where you can't even recognize that God's working in and around your life. And you don't even see God's blessings. You may even start to doubt that God even cares about you, that he has a purpose or a plan for your life. When this Roman soldier wakes up that Friday, he doesn't know it. He's not aware of it. But God has already been working in his life. God has him at the right place at the right time. And he doesn't even know. But God's about to cut through all the mundane, all the pointless, all the monotony, and he's about to change his life forever. And God may want to do the exact same thing in your life today. He wants you to know that you were created for more than just the same thing over and over again. He wants you to know you're created. He created you more than just going through the motions. He wants you to know that he's working in your life, and he has been working in your life, and he has an incredible plan even for your life. Acts 17, 27 says God's purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. I think that's feel their way towards him and find him. Though he is not far from any of us. Maybe for you right now, God feels a long way away. Maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you're struggling, though, with things like, well, God's not answering to my prayers. You know, I prayed for my marriage. I prayed, 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 and God's not answering. Or I prayed for my, for my friend, and God's not answering. Or I prayed for my career. I prayed for my family. I prayed for my dating relationships, and God's not answering any of my prayers. He's not answering any of my prayers about our financial situation or whatever it is you're going through. The good news is that in every circumstance, in every situation in your life, the good and the bad in your life, God is at work. And he's working for your best. Even if you don't recognize it, God's there. And he's working for you. And ultimately, God's goal for your life is for you to turn away from your sins and follow him. And let Jesus be the Lord and the leader of your life. Willingly, as, as Jennifer said, to, to bow the knee and worship Jesus as the Lord. And if you do that, God promises to give you purpose and meaning for your life, adopt you into his family, and give you eternal life with him forever. Romans 2.24 says, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? God had a purpose for this Roman soldier that day. He's working in his life even though he doesn't see it. And I want you to understand that God is working in your life even if you don't, under, you don't see it or understand it. And here's why. God is always working to draw people close to him. Grace, grace number one is that God 
is always at work drawing people close to him. Here's why. Grace lesson number two. Will you write this down? It's because God desires everyone to come to Jesus Christ. He, de- he desires everyone. Circle the word everyone. I know you just filled it in. Circle it. Is there someone in your life that you think to yourself, I mean, let's be honest. Is there someone in your life where you think to yourself, that person is just a lost cause? Don't we all have somebody we can think of like that? I mean, we're like, look, Pastor Jerry, I know God loves everybody. And I, I, I know that, that God loves every, everybody. But the way this person acts and the, the things that this person says and the things that this person does, the way they treat others, this person is beyond redemption. You ever have people in your life? Don't point at them if you brought them, okay? You ever have people in your life where you feel like, I mean, I know God loves everyone, but my neighbor, or I know God loves everybody, but that guy on, you know, the corner office, or I know, but my my relative spouse, you just got those people that you feel like that person is beyond God's reach. They are utterly a lost cause. Listen, if there was ever anybody who was a lost cause, it was this Roman soldier, right? I mean, think about it. Think about all the people he tortured, all the people he he maimed and mocked and killed. And on that Friday morning, he had no idea who he was going to be executing that day. But it's all the same to him. It's just another one for me to kill. He probably didn't care. Just one more rebel to beat, mock, torture, and crucify. If there was ever a lost cause, surely it's this Roman off soldier. He's the last person you would ever expect to be saved. Because he's the one who's crucifying Jesus. And this is the scandal of Christianity, isn't it? This is the scandal of God's grace. That no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter who you've done it with, God still loves you. <laughs> Blows our mind. Because honestly, we don't love you. And if we do show any love to you, it's because God's loving you through us. We gave up on you. Because to us, you're a lost cause. And I'm so sorry that we're ever like that. Because that's not how our Lord and Savior is with you. And that certainly isn't how our Heavenly Father is with you. He loves you. And He still wants to save you no matter what you've done. He wants to forgive you of your past, the sins and mistakes, all the things that you've done in the past. And he wants to transform you. He wants to transform your life and bring you into a relationship with him. That's the lesson of grace from this Roman soldier that he teaches us from the cross. That God's plan from the very beginning is that everyone, every single one, everyone, even you, even this Roman soldier, everyone would come into a relationship with him even those who don't think that they deserve it, and that they would be saved. And God desired it so much that he sent his one and only son. Jesus willingly gave his life on that cross 
just the night before he was wrestling in the garden and said, not my will, Lord God, but your will, Father, I will go to the cross. He willingly goes so that everyone who believes on him should not perish but have eternal life, even a Roman soldier who was crucifying him. Romans 5, 7, and 8 says, Now most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though some might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. This is what real love looks like, to be willing to die for someone who doesn't love you, to be willing to die for someone who doesn't deserve it, to be willing to die for someone who hasn't always done the right thing, who's done mostly the wrong thing, like this Roman soldier. Well, really, like you and like me. And that's exactly what Jesus did. That's what it says. That means that that family member that you've been praying for, God wants him to come to Christ. That friend that you care about, God wants her to come to Christ. Even if you've been running from God your whole life, you don't even know why you tuned in today. Facebook popped it up, and next thing you know, you're watching. Even if you've run from God, even if you've turned your back from God, even if you're shaking your fist at God, even if you stood in front of God's face and you cursed Him, I mean, you just let it all out, God still loves you and He still wants to save you. In fact, I believe that's why you're here today, or that's why you're tuning in. I don't think you're here by accident. I think you're here because God's at work in your life. And I think he drew you here or he caused you to tune in because he's been pursuing you. He's really been pursuing you your entire life. And today he wants to wipe away all of your past sins and he wants, to, he wants to adopt you into his family and give you a new beginning and a fresh start. 2 Peter 3.9, don't take my word for this. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord does not want anyone to be destroyed. But he wants everyone to repent. Remember, God is always at work in and around you. And he's at work in your life because he wants you, he wants everyone to be saved. That's why grace number, lesson number three, this is the why. Fill it in. God never gives up on anyone. That's the lesson we learn about grace from this Roman soldier. It's such an extreme example. God never gives up on anyone, not even a Roman soldier who crucifies Christians. God always is at work. He always wants everyone to be saved, and he never gives up on anyone. And when this Roman soldier wakes up that, that Friday morning, he probably wasn't looking for God, but God was looking for him. And the, this Roman soldier, he probably given up on God a long time ago if there ever was a God. But God had not given up on him. God is patient. He never gives up on anyone, and he hasn't given up on you either. I don't know about you, but I have limited, very limited patience. Some of you have a lot of patience. You can let that person just sit at that green arrow and let it go back to red and you don't even like, you're not even tempted to blow the horn. I know because sometimes I'm three cars behind you going, blow the horn! And if I blow the horn way back here, they're not even going to hear it. 
But some of you are so patient. You might be the most, hum- most patient human being in the world, but you have to admit, even you have a limit to your patience, right? All of us have a limit. Where we get to the point where it's like enough is enough. But God's patience is unlimited. God never gets to the point where he's like, enough is enough. I'm done with you. He gives us every opportunity up until the point of death. Like we looked at two weeks ago on Easter, the thief on the cross, minutes, hours at most from death. God is actively working in our lives to draw us to him. Your life, every life matters to God. Maybe sometimes you you think, well, God's so big, God's just too big that any individual one life matters to him. Every single life. Every baby you see up here next week that we're, and 17-year-old, that we're dedicating, the parents are dedicating to raise him in a Christian home, Every one of those students, every one of those babies, they matter to God. And he doesn't sweep any life away. He's trying to draw everyone to himself. 2 Samuel 14, 14 says, But God does not just sweep life away. Instead, he devises ways to bring us back when we have been separated from him. It's possible to live your life in such a way and to experience so much heartache and so much disappointment that you end up believing the lie that God isn't, he isn't even paying attention to you, that he doesn't care about you, that he's given up on you. Those are lies because God doesn't give up on anyone, even the people that we would give up on. Do you have that person in your life, that family member that you care about, and you want them to come to church with you? You want them to meet Jesus, but it just seems like their heart is just so hard. You bring up Jesus and they shut you down. You bring up coming to church, they just shut it down. There's just, and you just think, there's just no way they're ever going to accept Jesus. I mean, we don't even talk about religion or politics anymore. In fact, we don't even go to those people's houses anymore, right? Let's just do the whole COVID thing for every Thanksgiving. <laughs> kind of how we feel right now, right? And you may have given up on them, but God hasn't given up on them. For some of you, it's your spouse. And you, I see it. You faithfully come to church every single week, and they don't ever come. And, and we do big events, Easter and Christmas. And you get them here, I promise you they're going to hear about Jesus on Easter and Christmas. And eventually, seven, seven Easter's, ten Christmases from now, you keep inviting them, and they'll be here. And you think, about well, it takes so long. Don't give up. God hasn't given up on them. He hasn't given up on your spouse. He hasn't given up on your kids. Don't you give up on them. Maybe as a coworker, and you invite them to church and they kind of brush, brush it off or, or they kind of poke fun at you, make fun of you. God hasn't given up on them. You say to them every now and then, not every day, good grief, but every now and then, you say to them, hey, anything I pray for you about? And you know what? They'll go, nah, I'm good. Pray for my lottery numbers, you know, whatever. <laughs> if they say that, you should pray. God, if you want them to win the lottery, help them win the lottery. Then on Monday, come back and say, hey, I prayed for your lottery numbers. Any luck? Nope. Listen, you don't give up. One day, their kid's going to be in a car crash. Guess who they're going to call to pray? Lottery dude. Guess who they're going to call to pray? 
that religious lady, however they look at you, you don't give up. You know that God's at work and he hasn't given up on them. You don't give up either. Even if they're the least likable person in your family, and there may be a contest in your family, it's like, well, there's a lot of them, you know. You know, I've got to narrow it down to ten, you know. The least likable person in your office, in your family, on your block, in your whatever group, God has not given up on them. You don't give up on them either. That's one of the lessons of this Roman soldier. It's never too late. No one is ever too far gone. No one. As long as you have breath in your body, there's always hope. You're not too far gone, and nobody you care about is too far gone. That's why grace lesson number four is so important in your notes. Number four, God can transform instantly. Write that down. God can transform instantly. One of the amazing things about God's grace is it instantly transforms the hardest of hearts into something brand new. When we ask for God's forgiveness, we receive it right then. We talked about that a few weeks ago. It's instant. God can take a cold, hard heart, and he can bring it to life instantaneously. You don't have to earn forgiveness. You don't have to work to earn God's grace. You don't have to make up for all the bad things that you've done. The thief on the cross didn't. This Roman soldier can't. It happens in an instant when you genuinely turn from your sin and ask God for forgiveness. You get it. No strings attached. Jesus did all of that on the cross for you, for me, for all of us. And when that Roman soldier woke up that Friday, he was a hardened skeptic. But by that afternoon, his heart has been transformed in one day, not even one day, in six hours. Most experts agree that Jesus was probably crucified around 9 a.m. Now keep in mind that he was arrested the night before. And they rush him through six quick trials in the middle of the night. You talk about corruption. And then that morning, it all happened so fast, he's crucified at 9 a.m. This wasn't a long period of time. Many believe that he was on the cross and at 9 a.m. he probably died around 3 p.m., about six hours on the cross. That's less time than most people spend on the cross. Many people survive for hours and hours and hours. Some people for days. Remember, they ended up suffocating, dying of asphyxiation when they couldn't continue to breathe. But Jesus, because of the beating and the whipping and the, uh, everything else, the loss of blood, he succumbed in probably six hours. Now, interesting, that's why I think you should read Matthew 27. The Bible says that when he died, something extraordinary happened. There was an earthquake. Jesus dies. First of all, the clouds turn black. I mean, the, 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 the sky turns black. It's dark. Earthquake happens. Rocks split. And in the temple, which is very close. Remember I told you I've walked from the Wailing Wall to where Golgotha, where Calvary is. It's the Via Della Rosa. Jesus walked. I mean, you should know that you could walk it. Jesus carried it across that far. At the temple, just a few hundred yards, maybe a mile, not even a mile away, 
the veil, the curtain in the temple was ripped. There was, a, there was a barrier between the place of holy and holies where only the priest could go, where it represented God's presence. You know, the Ark of the Covenant, those kind of things were, were there. And, and it's ripped in two to symbolize that no longer is there any person or any barrier between us and God. That everyone is welcome to come into God's presence because of what Jesus did on the cross. So a lot's going on at this time. In fact, one of the craziest things you'll ever... I mean, can you imagine this? The Bible says that not only was the curtain split, not only was there an earthquake, but in and around Jerusalem, the tombs popped open and people raised from the dead. O.M. goodness. (laughs) Godly men and women were raised from the dead an incredible sight. All of this was happening in this hardened heart, this Roman soldier, the world's biggest skeptic. He's standing there witnessing all of this. And the Bible says in that moment his cynicism melted away. And he took the knee. This is what it says. The Roman officer and the other soldiers at the crucifixion were terrified by the earthquake and all that happened. you think? I just nailed this guy to the cross. I just beat him within an inch of his life, and now he's dead. In the earthquake, and the sky turns black, and the temple rips, and, and the graves pop open, and people start walking around. And he says... This man was truly the Son of God. Probably nobody got it as well as he got it at that moment. This wasn't a religious experience for him. This was a new paradigm. He was the Son of God. And that day that Roman soldier discovered who Jesus really was and it transformed him. He was transformed by the power of the cross. You can be too. No matter what your past looks like, I'm sure it's not as bad as a Roman soldier. I'm sure you haven't crucified hundreds of people yourself, personally. But no matter what your past looks like, if you believe today that Jesus is the Son of God, and God raised him from the dead, and you bow the knee to him, and you ask God to forgive you of your sins, our last verse tells us how to do it. What does it take to be transformed? Romans 10.9 says that this, this Roman soldier believed he's a truly the Son of God. Look what it says in Romans 10.9. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Underline those words, you will be saved. Notice it says you will be saved. Not you might be, you could be, you probably should be. It doesn't say at some point in the future you learn all your Bible verses, then you'll be saved. You do enough good things to balance out all the bad things that you've done. Then you'll be, doesn't say any of that. Nope, just says, because of the cross, because of what Jesus did, when you believe in your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, and that God raised him from the dead, and you proclaim, you bow the knee, you proclaim, he's my Lord, he's the Son of God, you'll be saved that instant. And you can experience God's grace, and God will start to transform your cold, dead heart. Now, if you believe that today, maybe you've heard me talk about it for a year or years. Maybe just this is the first time you've ever heard this. 
I want to pray for you. And as we pray, whether you're watching from home or you're in the pavilion or you're here live, for the first time, if you want to open your heart up to God and you want to accept his gift of forgiveness and salvation, you can do that. I'm going to lead you in a very simple, quick prayer. Well, I want to all bow our heads right now. Let me pray for you. Father, we come to you today in awe of what you did through Jesus on the cross. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ. When many of us had turned our backs on you, when we weren't living for you, when we were in our sin, when we were saying, God, I'm going to live my own way. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to be my own God. You didn't let us go off into our own self-destruction. You reached out. You worked. You came from heaven. You walked into our world. And Jesus, you died on the cross so that we could have eternal life. And you made it so clear that we can have a new life here. Heavenly Father, I want to pray for those who are here today who are tuning in. Listen, if you're here and you've never said yes to Jesus, maybe your heart has been hard to God, maybe for a really long time. You're not here by accident. God brought you here for a reason, for a purpose. He's knocking at the door of your heart right now. And for the first time, you need to pray and accept God into your life. If you want to do that, I just want to say a prayer and have you repeat it. In your own mind, you just think these thoughts. God can hear your thoughts. And you just pray and say, God, just as a Roman soldier did that day, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he died for my sins and was raised so that I could be forgiven. God, I want to follow you from now on. That's all it takes for your life to be transformed. I hope you'll pray that prayer. God, I believe Jesus is Lord. I believe you raised him from the dead, and I want to follow you from now on. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you gave us such undeserving grace, and you gave us this great example. Someone who is so far gone but not out of the reach of your incredible grace and love. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's Mel. I hope what you heard today will help you take that next step on your journey. If you still have more questions than answers, don't give up on finding them. Jesus will never give up on you, so you should never give up on knowing him. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. See ya. See ya.